So John chapter 21, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. So this is one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus after so he's been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and he appears here to some of his disciples uh, at the Sea of Galilee. So John chapter 21, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, uh, uh, sorry, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, 
follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together on Easter Sunday. Uh, You might have noticed a few unique things about Easter Sunday this year. One is that we had daylight savings change today. I got an extra hour of sleep, and as I look out, I think many of you benefited from that extra hour of beauty sleep. Um, The other thing that's unique about today is it's April Fool's Day. And already on social media, we're copping some flack as this world looks at our faith, looks at what we believe and considers us fools. A few weeks ago, I woke up with a picture in my mind. I was seeing the tomb of Jesus and I was seeing the spirit hovering over this body that was lying dead. And I got a glimpse of the joy of the Holy Spirit as he breathed life into this dead body and the Lord Jesus was resurrected with eternal life. I'm happy to be called a fool. I know that even today there's a billion people across the world like us gathering in worship of this one who was dead and has been raised to life. We know many in this world have given their lives or are giving their lives because of the conviction that Jesus is alive. And those first followers who were witnesses, many of them were martyred for their faith. This was the eternal plan of God, that the Lord Jesus would die and then the Holy Spirit would raise him again to life as the life giver so that we could come to faith and share in that eternal life of God. A third unique thing about this particular Easter, I don't think it was an accident that the ball tampering happened a week before Easter. As a nation, we have shared in shame and we have seen three men publicly wrestling with their brokenness. And we've seen a team fragmented as they've seen some of their leaders 
demonstrate the flaws in their character. It's not often that we as a nation can experience collective shame. And the Lord ordained that this would all happen to prepare us to hear the message of Easter. We're going to read a story or hear a story today of a broken man that was restored to life, restored to wholeness, restored to community, restored to mission. Each of us has our unique stories of shame, looking back, thinking through things that we've done that we hope will never come to light. Or we may be thinking of a son or a daughter or a spouse, a parent, a friend, people that have revealed brokenness and they are stuck, stuck in their shame or stuck in their disgrace. And we would yearn and long that they could be restored to life. I'll pray for us and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, we worship you and honor you as the risen King. We thank you that you've revealed to us these truths. And we pray that as we wrestle with this particular story, that you would breathe life into us, that we would believe and be restored and be equipped and empowered to live for you. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was younger, I had all these stories from the scriptures jumbled in my head, and it kind of got revealed one day when someone in a, some sort of class said, how many days was it between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus? And I thought, I've got no idea. I'll guess a week or so. But because of that question, it caused me to see in Acts 1 verse 3, it said, after the suffering of Jesus, he presented himself to his followers and gave convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's always fascinated me, this period of 40 days. In some ways, the death and the resurrection had happened. The clincher had been sealed. And yet, the Lord Jesus stayed for another 40 days, continuing to serve his followers, continuing to minister to them. And as we look at some of the resurrection appearances, we see that he was serving them and strengthening them for what was to come. The Sunday morning, the women at the tomb, they meet him. And in their fear and confusion, the Lord Jesus says, I'm really alive. It's happened. Later that day, Cleopas and the other disciple were going down the road towards Emmaus. And the Lord Jesus comes to them and reveals to them from the scriptures that he had to die and rise again. In their ignorance, he gave understanding. That evening, the disciples were gathered in the locked room for fear of the Jews. And the Lord Jesus appears to them and gives them his peace. A week later, Thomas and the others. Thomas full of doubt. And the Lord Jesus comes to him and kindly and gently gives him time 
to process what's going on and to become convinced that the Lord Jesus is alive. And he says, my Lord and my God. All of these appearances are the Lord Jesus ministering to his disciples. And the story for today is when he comes to the apostle Peter. And in the apostles, or in Peter's brokenness and shame, the Lord Jesus rebuilds him to wholeness, to community, and to mission. This chapter is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. The Lord Jesus coming to a broken soul and restoring them to life. We're going to look at this narrative under four headings. A night on the water, a breakfast on the beach, a chat by the fire, and then a life following Jesus. Verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now you might think, what are they doing in Galilee? The week leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus all happened in Jerusalem. So how did they end up here in Galilee? It may have been habits. Jewish men three times a year were to come to Jerusalem to attend for festivals. And the week-long feast of unleavened bread was over. And Jewish men who travelled to the city then returned back to their villages. Maybe the disciples were just doing what they'd done three times a year for most of their adult life and returning to their home village. Maybe there was disillusionment. They began as fishermen in the north. Three years before, the Lord Jesus had called them and they began to follow Jesus and learn from him. And now that he died and everything had changed, maybe they were just returning to their old ways, going back to the family of business, thinking, what was those three years? We just need to return to our old way of life. Maybe they were actually trusting and obeying God. In Matthew and in Mark, the angel says to them, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Maybe these disciples, out of faith and obedience, were returning, obeying the angel's instruction in the hope that they might meet the Lord Jesus again, that there would be more for them to learn as they grappled with everything that had gone on. Maybe they were just in a season of transition. When we returned from South Sudan, so much had changed for us. And the Lord in his kindness gave us some time. We moved back into our own home in January and I had the month of February off. And I ended up getting an excavator and a bobcat and a chainsaw. (laughs) And we remodeled the backyard for a month. It was a season of restoration for me. As my soul was rumbling with everything that had gone on, as we transitioned to have that time in our hometown, in our backyard, working practically, sorting out in my soul everything that had gone on. 
Maybe the disciples, out of the Lord's kindness, were being back, led back to this familiar place and given some time to restore their souls and start to comprehend everything that had gone on. So we find them out on the water. There's seven of them, five of them named Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, James and John and two others. In most of John's gospel, Peter and John are these two major characters and they are the same here. It was nighttime, they'd worked hard and there was no fish, nothing to show for their efforts. Have you had nights like that? A long night shift at the hospital, a long day at the office, a wasted day on the tools and you get to the end and you think I have nothing to show for my efforts. Would their thoughts have gone back to these three years with Jesus? Was it all a waste? We gave our lives for the hope, the possibility that something would change but now he's gone. What next? Do we have anything to show for our efforts? Peter was also facing some personal realities. He's made some bold statements, but despite all of them, he's disowned his friend. He's broken that code, that personal ethic that he had. He realized, I'm foolish, I'm finite, I have my limits. When it comes down to it, I am fickle wavering between two options he must have been thinking is there any place for me now have I forsaken any right to be called one of his followers after what I have done I mentioned about us returning from South Sudan and journeying through transition we were helped at one debrief conference Our facilitator was an ultra-marathoner, one of these crazy guys that does three marathons over mountain peaks. But he got an illness. He ended up in intensive care for months. This strong, fit, endurance athlete was humbled by his Lord, reminded that he's a creature, reminded that he's finite. Even in the conference that we were in, he would not last the full day. Every now and then he would slip back to rest. But we learned so much from him. A man who had been taken to the end of himself and shown by God that he is finite. And he was taught to look up and receive from the Lord. Peter was having one of these seasons where the Lord was revealing to him that he was finite and foolish and fickle. So they caught nothing and early in the morning they see a man on the beach and this man calls out to them and says, friends, haven't you any fish? And they said, no, we've been working all night and we have none. Well, why don't you throw your net in again on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
And they ended up catching this miraculous school of fish. As I was preparing for this sermon, I read one thing that said, in all of the Gospels, there is no account of the disciples catching any fish apart from the help of the Lord Jesus. And that's despite them being fishermen. There's something we can learn there. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Our own efforts, separate from him, will be fruitless and worthless. But when the Lord speaks and we trust and we obey, fruit will come. There's something else going on here, though. I was with my nine-year-old this morning, and I said, look, let me give you a little sneak peek of what the sermon's on. It's about Peter. He's on the lake, and he's fishing, and he hasn't caught anything, and then he puts down... And he goes, that's not an Easter story. I said, what do you mean? That story happened before. And I went, you are right. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's revealing himself to his disciples by recreating something that happened three years ago. When he first met them and they were fishing stuck in their old way, in their old family business, and he comes to them and says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And he has this interaction with them where an amazing catch of fish happens and these fishermen humble themselves before this teacher and say, I will leave my fishing nets and I will follow you. The Lord Jesus in this scene is echoing that story and revealing himself to his disciples as the same one that was there at the beginning. And now he's here again and the call is the same. Trust me, obey me, come and enjoy friendship. I'm amazed how Jesus meets people where they are at. He goes and seeks them, meets them whilst they're fishing, meets them whilst they are working. On Monday through to Saturday, he is present with us, speaking, revealing. Are we ready to listen? Are we ready to see him? We see Peter and John responding, John with spiritual discernment standing on the boat saying, this is the Lord. And Peter, this exuberant man of action, just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to shore. And then the disciples follow and we catch up with them on the beach. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Have you had that time when you've come in from a big day of work or come home from a big weekend and mum's put on the soup or mum's cooking the lamb roast? How good it is to come and for someone to have prepared a meal. Well, the Lord Jesus had done that. The 153 fish, well, that was just to kind of prove who he was. But already he had fish on the fire. He'd already initiated. 
And he looked at these tired men who'd been fishing all night and he said, come, let's have breakfast together. It reminded me of the prophet in the Old Testament, discouraged, disillusioned. And the Lord comes to him and says, get up and eat and then go to bed. Get up and eat, then go to bed. The kindness of God, that he would come to us when our bodies are tired when our souls are disillusioned and already he is providing for us and caring for us. He does also use some of the fish. Even though he takes the initiative and provides for them out of his abundance, he also says, bring some of those fish that you caught. Put them on the fire as well and we can enjoy them too. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? It's quite an unusual comment. They were sitting there enjoying friendship. They had recognized who he was, and yet there was something different. This was the resurrection Jesus. There was familiarity, and yet there was something out of this world. But by faith... They rolled with it and they thought, I know this is the Lord Jesus, the same one that we knew a few weeks ago before everything changed, but we're seeing in him something different. Life is oozing out of him. There is a vitality to him that we have not seen before. So they enjoy some breakfast And then the focus comes in on this chat by the fire, verse 15 to 17. This is one of the most intensely beautiful scenes in all the scriptures. This is the Lord Jesus, the great physician, lovingly restoring a soul and lovingly modeling what a grace-filled and life-giving family of God's people is to be like. Jesus, around a fire, asked Peter three questions. And as he does that, Peter would have been reminded of a few weeks before. On that Thursday night, it was cold. The Lord Jesus was in getting tortured and Peter snuck in, gathered around a fire with some others, And around that fire was asked, you're with this man, you know him. No, I am not his friend. No, you talk with the same accent from Galilee. You must be one of his followers. No, I'm not. Three times he's asked and three times he denies. And so the Lord Jesus recreates a scene the disciples are there a fire is there it's light of day now there's warmth around this fire rather than the cold of the last one and these questions are not asked with accusation and criticism these questions are asked by the Lord Jesus to rebuild a broken man do you love me Do you love me? 
Do you love me? Peter's denial had raised that question. Does he love the Lord Jesus? And is he willing to express that love with faithfulness, loyalty, obedience, whatever the cost? Jesus goes right to where the pain is. All of us have some parts of our soul that we keep locked up, that we keep dark. We may not reveal it to anyone. Those parts of us where we have shame, hiding, lurking. The Lord Jesus wants to go there. Not to accuse, not to judge, but so that light can come into that dark place. So that he can come in and cover over that shame completely. So that he can come in and lovingly heal that brokenness. The Lord Jesus comes to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, Peter, by the end, by the third question, he breaks down and says, Look, Lord, you know everything. You know what's in my heart. You know all of those contradictions. You know all of that confusion. Lord, you know. And deep down in his soul, he expresses as best he can as a broken man, Lord Jesus, I do love you. You are worth that to me. And so how does the Lord Jesus respond? He says, I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. I'm not keeping you on the outer. I'm actually bringing you right back in and giving you something that is so precious to me because you've learned. And you've learned that apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me... I want you to feed my sheep. It's an amazing trust that the Lord Jesus gives. This is like lending your Porsche to your teenage son who's just written off your Holden. (laughs) This is entrusting something that is so precious to someone that does not have the character and has just displayed that he should not be trusted with those things. Do you see how lovingly Jesus restores this broken man? Discerns his heart. Knows that the learning has happened. And knows that now this man is tuning in and listening and obeying. And so he entrusts his sheep to him. Imagine having an exam where there are three questions and all the questions are the same and you hear ahead of time what the questions are. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
Jesus restores Peter publicly. He does it in front of the other disciples. And I think they would have been sneaking back into the shadows thinking, oh Jesus, we know how hard Peter took this. Maybe you should just sort this out privately. But they didn't move. You see what Jesus was doing? He was restoring a broken man publicly. He was demonstrating to this community of believers This is how it works with grace. He's done wrong. He's not been faithful. But I am restoring him. And I want you all to know that. Because that is what happens in my family. Broken people are lovingly welcomed back. Not only restored to wholeness themselves but restored to the community, washed clean, shame covered, guilt forgiven. This is how it's going to work in my family of God's people. Somewhere deep down inside, is there a love for Jesus? And though you've let him down enough times, he wants to find that love to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past and give you some new work to do. And are we a place of restoration for broken people? Do we know how to restore people back to wholeness amidst the family of God's people? Imagine if churches like this were known for that. That's a place where you go if you are broken and you'll be loved, you'll be welcomed and over days or weeks or months, you'll be restored to life. You'll find your place again, restored to wholeness, restored to community, but even more than that, restored to mission. So we've looked at a night on the water a breakfast on the beach, a chat by the fire, and now we focus on a life following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus and what will that look like? In this story, we're given two examples from the two main actors in this story. Peter, we're fast-forwarded to him dying a martyr's death. And John, we're fast-forwarded to him living a long life and dying a natural death. Peter is told, you will die and you'll die as a martyr. What would you do with news like that? Would that be helpful to you? Was Jesus being kind here in letting Peter know and understand that that was what was going to happen to him? I wanted to share a few thoughts as I wrestled with that myself. Would it be helpful for me to know that I was to die and to die as a martyr? Our culture avoids death at all costs. For us to be faced with our own mortality is challenge enough for us, let alone how it might happen. 
but we would do well to consider and remember that we are mortal. Our life will have an end. There is no escaping it. It might be soon, it may be many years, but our time on this earth will end. Have you considered that? Have you weighed it in your thinking? Or are we drifting along with our culture that just tries to ignore that sort of reality? I also saw that Jesus lived his life in the shadow of the cross. He knew his life was to be short. And he knew his death was to come. There's mysteries here. Did he know that because he was the omniscient son of God who knows all things? Did he know it because he was a faithful man who read the scriptures and came to the understanding that he was the Messiah that the scriptures spoke of and that he would die, he would suffer, but on the third day would rise again? However he knew He was aware that his death was to come and his death was God's plan and yet he lived without fear of that death. Knowledge of his death actually sharpened his focus and strengthened his resolve. It informed him of the many day-to-day choices that he made. It energized his love for the people that he was with. And what about for Peter? Having denied Jesus just a couple of weeks before, I think he would have heard this as deep encouragement. Peter, you won't die as one who disowns the Lord. You will die as a faithful man willing to die as a martyr. I think Peter would have heard this as deep encouragement. The Lord Jesus saying to him, that deep nagging question you have, will I be faithful? And the Lord Jesus answers it with a yes. Jesus would give him protection for productive service until then. He had another 30 years or so. When you read through Acts, you hear some of his preaching When you read 1 and 2 Peter, you hear of a letter that he's written, two letters to believers to encourage them in the faith. We see a man that was getting stronger and stronger because he was aware of his weakness and brokenness, but he'd received from the Lord that restoration that equipped him and empowered him for service. Then the focus moves on to John. In one sense, Peter asks a really natural question. Well, if I'm to die as a martyr, well, what about my friend here? What's going to happen to him? At the time of writing, John was probably the last man standing. He'd seen all of the other followers of Jesus die as martyrs. He was the last man. And a rumor had gone round that he might be the one apostle left alive when the Lord Jesus was to return. So John includes this story to say, look, I'm expecting to die and leave this earth 
And I don't want your faith to be rocked by that. I want you to understand exactly what the Lord Jesus said back then on that day. Don't get confused by this rumor. And so the Lord Jesus said that John, if he's to live a long life, Peter, what is that to you? And gets the focus back onto Peter. Don't get distracted by thinking about this other person over there, what's going to happen to them. Come back. And Jesus says to Peter, it's not really your business to know how I'm going to deal with another person's journey of faith and obedience. I want you to keep your eyes fixed on me. I want you to follow me. In that sense, it's not really our business how the Lord leads others. What is your responsibility before God? What is my responsibility before God? What has he given me to walk in obedience with? What has he given you to walk in obedience with? The Lord Jesus keeps it very simple. Just follow me. In that place that I've put you, that marriage, that family, that friendship, that workplace, that's where I've put you. So follow me there. So we've looked through this story and seen this journey for Peter, restored to wholeness, restored to community, restored to productive mission for God. So let's draw together some final thoughts. If we want to be restored in the same sort of way, we need to accept something about ourselves. I am foolish. I am fickle. I'm finite. Apart from the Lord Jesus, I can do nothing. We need to come to that breakfast on the beach and receive from the Lord Jesus provision. We need to sit in that chat by the fire and allow the Lord Jesus to let his light shine in those dark parts of our soul. We need to let him go to where the pain is so that he can heal us and restore us and set us free. And we need to do that in the context of community. We need to have the relationships with one another where those dark things can come out and we can experience on this human level that love and grace and restoration. And finally, we must follow in his footsteps. We must walk in life-giving obedience and friendship. It's a personal journey of obedience, yet it's also one that is done together. The same call that they received three years before to leave their fishing boats, the Lord Jesus gave them another fresh start. And this call is the same for each of us this Easter Sunday. Will we turn from our sin? Will we believe the good news? Will we follow the Lord Jesus? There's one final verse that makes me smile. John says, Jesus did many other things as well. 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, we live in days where we've got gigabytes and terabytes and whatever bytes of storage. But I think what John is getting at here, this is the eternal word of God who cannot be limited by finite books or by a finite body. This is the eternal God who is revealing us himself to us so that we would look to him and believe him on this particular Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to honor you as that eternal word. We want to thank you that you entered into this world, you became one of us. That is a mystery that we cannot comprehend, but we accept it by faith. We thank you for living that perfect life. And we know that you died again. This life-giving God who submitted himself to an earthly death. But we thank you that today is a day, Easter Sunday, when we can celebrate your victory. Where you defeated death forever. You were restored to life. Thank you that you lovingly and kindly spent those 40 days with these disciples. Helping them to wrestle through with the implications of what it meant for you to be alive forever. Thank you for your heart for these men. For the way that you knew each of them. For the way that you knew what was lurking inside of them. And for the way you loved them and went to those dark places in order that they would be released and your light would shine and your life would come. Lord God, we have so much to learn. But thank you that in the resurrection there is hope for each one of us. And that we can see in the disciple Peter and the others, we can see what we are like as well. Broken people, carrying our shame, And needing you to release us and set us free and bring us back to wholeness and community so that we can be joining in in your mission. Please do the work in each of us that we need done, that we would be transformed and equipped and empowered to live faithfully for you. We pray for all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.